friends, you know that uh, our recent sermons have been on the, Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, this morning we have a tremendous passage, Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 13. And ben will preach on this uh, later on. We who are strong ought to bear with the failures of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples exalt him extol him I should say and again Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations in him the Gentiles will hope may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit this is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Well, thanks, Peter. And um, stay there in Romans 15, friends. It's um, great to be heading towards the end of this letter together. Uh, some wonderful things for us to reflect on this morning. Why don't we pray and ask for God to help us? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that uh, your word is written for our encouragement and endurance uh, and in order that we might have hope. And so we pray this morning that we would indeed have hope as we leave here having been encouraged and built up by your work. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, I've been noticing a lot of reminiscing happening around the traps uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, about the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000. It's 20 years since that took place. Uh, it was this week, 20 years ago, that my sister gave me a ticket to the athletics finals that she won in a raffle. Uh, and most of my other Sydney Olympics memories were of trying to get free or cheap tickets to whatever I could. Uh, and so usually the more obscure things, I went out to the shooting uh, which is, I don't even know where it is, out on the M7 somewhere uh, in a dust bowl. 
Uh, it was dusty and hot. I'd never been a spectator at shooting before and didn't quite know what to expect. <clears throat> and as I sat in the stands watching the shooting take place, I couldn't see the shooters pull the trigger and I couldn't see whether they had hit the target or not. And so basically it was a matter of watching a person stand very still and then when the scoreboard told me that they had done the thing, we clapped. <laughs> but it was exciting nonetheless, right? It was the Olympics. Uh, one of those universal reflections that people have of the Sydney Olympics, I don't know if it's your reflection, is that it was so fun and it was a lovely time to be in this city. People were so nice to each other. There was amazing spirit of kindness and unity around us. Uh, and so things that usually regarded as inconvenient, we temporarily accepted. Things that we would normally be frustrated with, we overlooked and let go. Where on public transport, you might frequently experience selfishness and angst. Instead, we were uh, experiencing joy and care. It was like our shared connection with this significant event gave us clarity about what really matters, right? A sense of unity and purpose. We get to be part of this historical event together and so we let go of those little frustrations, those little differences of opinion, uh, those things that can niggle and uh, eat away at you we were able to overlook because of the bigger thing that was going on. I wonder if something of that but less positive has been happening during COVID. Sort of some of the more trivial things we've been able to let go of. It's given us a glimpse of what really matters and how to come together. Well, Romans 15 is all about that. Uh, as we head towards the end of this magisterial letter, chapter 15 is another call to unity in the Roman church. And today we want to think about why is that such an important call and a way to end such a magnificent letter about the gospel. Uh, unity in the Roman church is important because like any church, as we said last week, it is a collection of weird and wonderful people with no earthly reason to gather together, no earthly reason to be interested and involved in each other's lives, incompatible in so many ways. And the point of chapter 15 is that if an event like the Olympics can give us a, a glimpse of unity and joy, how much more should Jesus and all his glory and his beauty and his goodness unite us together in love, enable us to let go of those trivial frustrations, those little niggles and differences, and some of the big ones as well, to demonstrate the wonderful thing that the one Saviour has done for us in his death and resurrection. If we have a shared Saviour, a shared spirit, a shared and unshakable hope, then these magnificent realities should be expressed in a profound unity that only the Gospel can provide. And it should overflow that unity with hope and praise to God. Uh, thankfully for a preacher, Paul structures chapter 15 very simply. There's two points. He wants us to please one another, to build each other up in Jesus, and he wants us to accept one another to bring praise to God.
to please one another, to build each other up in Jesus and accept one another to bring praise to God. The way he does those two, makes those two points, he gives us the encouragement, then he gives us the reason for it and then he gives us a prayer to go with it. An encouragement, a reason and a prayer. Let's have a look at the first encouragement in verses 1 to 3. The first encouragement, that we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of you, each of us, should please our neighbour for their good to build them up, right? That that is uh, the job that we are, we are to do, uh, that we are to build each other up in love. And in particular, he directs his instruction to the strong. Remember the discussion of the strong and the weak last week? Uh, the, the, the strong are those who have understood the freedom that the gospel brings and the weak are those whose consciences are still uh, holding on to things like food laws and uh, particular days and that sort of thing. And so what Paul is saying to the strong is how they are meant to respond to the weak. How are you meant to respond to someone whose conscience is still holding on to particular things that the Bible maybe doesn't command or mandate uh, but as a particular expression of discipleship, how are you meant to respond to them? Well, you're meant to act like Jesus. In humbly using your strength not to crush or coerce or squash or tread over, but to bear with, to bear with, which is not to tolerate and to kind of roll your eyes and to know you can sit over there. To bear means to carry. That the strong are meant to help carry the weak. We want to bring you with us. We want you to be with us. You want, we want you to be part of what's going on and all of us heading in the direction of being built up and matured in Jesus together. And so the strong are not to then squash the weak by insisting on their own opinions and preferences but to bear with them, seeking to please them and seeking to build them up in Jesus. Wouldn't our world be a different place if the strong and the powerful used their strength and their power in that way? That strength and power is not given by God to squash and coerce and manipulate and to tread over. But God gives people strength and power in order to lift up others, in order to carry them along, in order to help and to care and to provide and to build up. Wouldn't our world be a different place if the strong used their strength not to squash but in gentleness and humility to lift up? Well, that's what Paul says should be evident in the church. Not self-pleasing, which is always going to be the root of disharmony and sin, but seeking to please our neighbours for their good to build them up. And part of doing that will mean seeking to humbly and to gently and to patiently build up the weak consciences of those around us that their faith might be strengthened through 
the Scriptures. Through the Scriptures and the example of Jesus, that is how we're to build one another up. That's the reason, we get the reason in verse 3. For even Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So where he says bear with the weak, right, and to build them up, it's not to confirm them in their weakness, but to help strengthen their conscience by the Scriptures, that we all might be matured in Christ. It's to listen and to care and to understand and to keep pointing each other back to what the Bible actually says. That as we carry each other and build each other up, we do so through the Scriptures, what God has said, so that we have the mind of Christ. Remember, that's the prayer. So here's the, he gave the reason. The reason is, even Christ didn't please Himself, as we've just declared from Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus, who had every right to claim His power and His authority and His glory as the ruler and the creator of the world, humbled Himself, taking the very nature of a servant, didn't grasp hold of His place on the throne, but came down to serve and to go to the cross. If Jesus did that, for us, we should do that for one another. That we would have the same mind of Christ toward each other. That we should think Jesus' thoughts after Him. Taking His model, but also being strengthened through His Word. So we're to bear with each other, build each other up, just as Jesus did for us. He's the example. But then Paul gives us the prayer, recognising this isn't something that we just simply do by our own strength or by sheer willpower, but it's something that God must give. Have a look at verse 5, the prayer that we touched on last week. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ just as you you don't create your own salvation so you don't earn or create your own unity it's something that Jesus gives us God makes us one in Christ it, it's something that, that he has done Unity is what we have in Jesus and so we're meant to express that and deepen that and grow in that. Right? Elsewhere, Paul says, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you've been united to Jesus, which you have if you've trusted in Him, then you are united. So keep that unity, express that unity, deepen and grow in that unity. The prayers of this passage are very aspirational, aren't they? Asking that God would do for us these truths that we desire, that are expressed in His Word. Each of these prayers in this passage reflect the great truths and keys to the Christian life. And the reason they're expressed in prayer is that God is the one that needs to do it. 
He's the one who fills and empowers. He's the one who gives unity. He's the one who gives encouragement and perseverance. He's the one who moves hearts. He's the one who transforms minds that we might glorify Him and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if these are the things that we aspire to, they need to be the things that we're praying for, depending upon God together. And when we see our failures, repenting of them and confessing it to God and asking for his help, that we might more and more reflect this reality. Um, In my my marriage, I'm called to love my wife uh, and to build on that love. Why? Because we're united as husband and wife. The Bible doesn't say love your wife in order that you might be united with her. The Bible says to me, I am united to my wife before God. Therefore, I need to love her. I'm to reflect that unity. I'm to grow in that unity. I'm working on that union more and more. And so it is with Jesus. When we come to him in faith, we are united with one another. And because we are united with one another, we need to grow in that and express that and deepen that through the gospel to enjoy that reality more and more and to reflect it to the world in order that God might be glorified, that we show the world, look how great God is and what he has done in uniting us together. So that's the first encouragement, reason and prayer. That we should not please ourselves, but please one another to build each other up just as Jesus did. Have a look at the second encouragement from verse 7. The encouragement is, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. To accept one another just as Christ accepted you. It's his example once again. And so we think of the acceptance that Jesus has shown to us, what is it? It's one that forgives. It's one that lets go and deals with, with sin and brokenness. It's an acceptance that showers kindness and love. Remember, it's not just Jesus accepting that we exist, but it's Jesus accepting us into our family, into his family uniting to us to him forever and so just as jesus accepted us so we should accept one another not just accepting that one another exists but accepting one another into our family with the same kind of kindness and compassion and generosity that we're meant to show to one another even when we disagree in order that god might be praised as we demonstrate his glory in the church and in the world. John Stott uh, summarised this helpfully, where he said, in the fundamentals, faith is primary, and so you can't appeal to love as an excuse to deny the essentials of the faith. But in non-essentials, love is primary, and so you can't appeal to the zeal of faith as an excuse for failures to love. So faith instructs our own conscience, love respects the conscience of others, faith gives liberty 
Love limits its exercise, and as Richard Baxter wrote, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, freedom, in all things, love. And the reason that Paul gives for this encouragement, it's not simply a, you guys should really get along together. It's not just a, this will really simplify things and keep everybody happy. No, the reason that this is the conclusion to this magisterial letter is that this will be the evidence that the gospel of Jesus is at work doing what he has promised it will do. bringing people to faith in Him and the eternal hope of sharing in His glory. It's evidence of what Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection achieved and what God has promised since long before you and I got here, that He is gathering for Himself one multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual people who will glorify Him for His mercy for all eternity. Paul's not just saying, get along, it will be easier. He's saying, you need to reflect these magnificent and eternal realities in order that God might be praised. He hits us with that sledgehammer from verse 8. Have a look at verse 8 with me. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is Jesus achieving God's big promise to Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all nations. The promises of God way back in the beginning of Genesis, here are their fulfilment in Jesus being worked out in history through you and through me. That's why this matters. He goes on, as it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles, I'll sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. This is not an attack on to the end of the gospel, that God has worked out his purposes for Abraham, for the people of Israel, and he's even going to include a couple of Gentiles in as well. From the very beginning, God's eternal purposes that he's going to work out through Jesus is for people from the, the Jews and the Gentiles, people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue, being gathered to him under the loving rule and care of King Jesus. And so as you accept one another, Paul says, as we demonstrate the unity that Jesus gives us in the church, we're saying God is keeping his promises. As we express that unity in the church, we're saying the promise God made to Abraham is happening here. As we love each other and accept each other and build each other up in Jesus, we're saying, look, Jesus has done and is doing what he promised he would do. And if we can give that glimpse 
knowing that we will do it imperfectly, knowing that we will times where we'll fail to do this in any meaningful way, knowing that we'll need to keep repenting and confessing our failures in this area. When we can do this in meaningful ways here and now, we show the world that Jesus really is the only hope that he truly is. We show the world that there is hope for the angst and the brokenness that exists out there. We show the world that Jesus is that hope. And that the only hope for our broken world is to be united together under God's grace through the kingship of Jesus, whose perfect future, he says, we get to share if our faith and our hope is in him. As we bear with each other and build each other up, as we accept each other with all our foibles and failures, just as Jesus did, we actually show the world that we're anticipating a perfect future where Jesus' truth and his goodness and his beauty will be our experience in all its fullness. And so that's why Paul prays in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope overflowing, it's a picture, isn't it? That what Jesus has done for us and what we're meant to express in this gathering is meant to be seen and it's meant to be felt by a needy world. We're meant to overflow with hope. That hope is meant to spill out these doors and spill out of our lives and spill into our community as we show what? What does overflowing hope look like? Well, it looks like joy and peace. Joy in the, in the midst of suffering because we know the future glory that God is preparing for us. Joy in, in knowing our Creator and being reconciled by our Saviour. Peace in knowing that in the midst of all the, the trials and temptations, in the midst of all the, 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 in all the, the changes and chances of this fleeting world, that our future is secure, that our lives are safe, that our hope is guaranteed because of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. In other places, Paul reflects this reality in saying that you can even rejoice through suffering and hardship with a peace that passes understanding. You can be hard-pressed because of what's going on in the world, but not crushed. You can be perplexed at what's happening in your life and, and what's going on around you, but you won't be in despair, that you might be persecuted for trusting in Jesus, but you'll know that you're not abandoned, that you will be struck down by the circumstances that you face, but you will not be destroyed. You will be genuine, but people will regard you as an imposter. You will be known, yet you will be regarded as unknown. You will be dying, and yet you live. You will be beaten, but you will not be killed. You might be sorrowful, but you will always be rejoicing. You will be poor, yet you'll be making many rich. You will have nothing, but you will possess everything as you trust in him and as he fills you with all joy and peace in believing 
that you might overflow with hope. And as we overflow with hope from this place, we show the world that God is keeping his promises, that Jesus is who he says he is. And the only hope for our broken world, for a world lost and in darkness, the only solution to the anger and the angst and the despair all around us is the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from trusting in the one Saviour, Jesus. Why don't I pray that we might indeed be some kind of reflection of this wonderful reality. Let's pray. Our Father, we long to be a church that glorifies you by showing the fact that you are keeping your promises and that Jesus is Lord. Help us to so trust in him that you will fill us with all joy and peace that we might, as a church and as individuals and as families and households, we might overflow to our needy world with the extraordinary hope that only Jesus can bring. Please do this for us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing a song.